McKinsey did a 10-year study. Top executives in flow report being five times more productive. That's 500% more productive in flow. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is Stephen Kotler. Go to stephencotler.com to find out more. Stephen is the author of several books. His latest book is called The Rise of Superman, Decoding the Science of Ultimate Human Performance. In this book, Stephen explores the concept of flow, the state that we get in when we perform at our absolute best. And in this interview, Stephen discusses with me how we as entrepreneurs can get into flow so that we can perform at our very best. Also, at the end of the show, we talk about why the future may be far better than we all realize right now. Quite a different topic than what we usually discuss on the online marketing show, but I promise you it's absolutely fascinating. So stay tuned. Stephen, thank you for being with me today. Joe, my pleasure. Stephen, as I just mentioned, you've recently released a book called The Rise of Superman. How did you become a writer and how did you end up writing this book? So... I, I mean, I literally, I, I, I became a writer. I was four years old or five years old when I wrote my first poem. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever uh, wanted to do anything else. Um, so I've always, I've always been a writer. I was writing, um, you know, I was writing every day for hours a day by the time I was 15, 16. Um, so that, uh, that's that. I, the, you know, the, the, the books, most of my books, deal with what I always tell people, I, you know, I work on disruptive technology, but that takes two forms. One side is the side that's familiar to people, which is kind of what we talk about uh, in my book, Abundance, which is technology like vertical farming, in vitro meat, synthetic biology, you know, computers, the internet, all that, all that stuff. I, you know, my beat for about 25 years as a reporter was essentially those moments in history where science fiction became science fact. But the reason I think we're talking today is because I also work on what I call disruptive internal technology, mm-hmm. ways we can kind of massively accelerate internal progress and internal performance. And, and in this particular case, the book we're talking about, The Rise of Superman, is all about flow states, which you know, I would argue are the most disruptive internal technology we have access to. That's absolutely right, Stephen. That's why I wanted to talk to you today. The listeners of this podcast are business people. So to be performing at optimal level is very important to us. So in The Rise of Superman, as you just mentioned there, you talk about a concept called flow, where we can perform and feel at our best. So can you tell us in a little bit more detail about this process that you call flow? Absolutely. So, um, Flow is flow is actually a technical term, right? But the, lots of people call this state lots of different things. Mm-hmm. In the zone, runner's high. If you're a jazz musician, it's in the pocket. If you're a basketball player, it's being unconscious. If you're a stand-up comic, it's the forever box. Flow is the term scientific scientists prefer, and I'll, and I'll tell you why in a second. But you know, as you alluded to, flow states are those moments that are defined as you know optimal states of consciousness where we feel our best. And we perform our best. And there's those moments of 
kind of total absorption, right? Where you it's so sucked in by what you're doing that everything else just falls away. Your sense of action and awareness kind of blend together. They merge. Your sense of self, self-consciousness, all that stuff, it disappears completely. Time dilates, which means sometimes it slows down and you'll get a freeze frame effect. If familiar to anyone who's ever been in a car crash, sometimes it speeds up. Five hours pass by in like five minutes. And throughout all aspects of performance, and that's mental and physical, go through the roof. The reason we call it flow is back in the 1960s when uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi was then at the University of Chicago, uh, ran the largest flow study ever run, which is still one of the largest psychological studies ever conducted. Um, we got the term itself because when he interviewed these people and they were describing this, they kept saying, well, in this state, everything is effortless. If every idea, every action leads immediately to the next action to the next idea, it's effortless, it's fluid, it's seamless, it feels flowy. And so many people said that, I and mean, tens of thousands of people said it feels flowy. Flow became the technical term. So what are the four stages of flow? The old idea about flow was it was a binary. You were, you were in the zone or you were out of the zone, right? Yep. That turns out not to be the case. We now know that flow is actually one stage in a four-stage cycle. Mm-hmm. So you start out kind of at the front end of, 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 it starts out with a struggle phase, kind of you're overloading the brain with information. That's followed by a period of kind of relaxation that kicks into the flow state itself, and then there's a recovery period on the back end. And what, what's critical about this, this tells us a number of things that are really important that a lot of people tend to wonder. One, you can't live in a flow state, right? There's no such thing as a permanent flow state. Mm-hmm. You may get, you know, massively amplified performance and everything else, but it's temporary, it's transient because you have to move through all four stages of this cycle before you can restart the process again. There's really complicated kind of neurobiological chain reactions underneath every one of these stages. You got to move through all four to, to restart the cycle. And it also tells us, um, that the quest for flow is not people always They equate flow with happiness all the time. And what is true is that those people who have the most flow in the world score off the charts for life satisfaction. Their lives have the most meaning on earth, but possibly not the most happiness. Happiness meaning like how I feel right now, meaning meaning my overall perspective. The reason being the front end of the flow state is all about struggle. It's extremely difficult. And the back end recovery period for complicated reasons, basically inflow, one of the things that causes flow is a very potent dump of five of the most powerful neurochemicals the brain can produce. Now, all of these chemicals are performance-enhancing chemicals, but they're also feel-good drugs. And they're the five most potent feel-good drugs the brain can produce, and flow is the only time you get access to all five at once. So it's a big, big, big high, literally, right? People refer to flow as the most addictive state on Earth. Scientists don't love the word addictive, so sometimes you'll hear it called autotelic, which means an end in itself, which means once an experience starts producing flow, we will go out of our way to get more and more and more of it. Mm-hmm. But you go from this like huge high, all these neurochemicals feel great, to a deep low on the back end because the neurochemicals burn themselves out. They take a little while to replenish. You need vitamins and minerals and food and certain things. It takes a little while. Um, so the back end of the state is sort of like coming off drugs. Um, 
and it's you know it's not always pleasant. It's difficult, and you have to uh, you have to really have the fortitude to kind of hang on both through the struggle phase and through this recovery phase um, if you're if if you're going to actually kind of pursue these states. Stephen, how can entrepreneurs and business people make use of flow? Well, let's before we get to how they can make use of flow, let's talk a little bit more about why first of all. Just because I, I just want to speak to your audience a little bit so they understand. Because a lot of times flow gets very – it's it's often associated with sports. And if it's not associated with sports, it's usually associated with the creative arts. Mm-hmm. But business entrepreneurship, it's fundamental. Meaning McKinsey did a 10-year study. Top executives in flow report being five times more productive. That's 500% more productive in flow. The, if if I were to look at you know the business climate today, to me the three most important things anybody can have, and I'll talk about why, is creativity, accelerated learning, heightened creativity, and jacked up motivation. And here's why: motivation. We'll start with Gallup. Just did a giant survey in America. They found 71% of American workers are actively disengaged on the job. That means three out of four Americans hate what they do with the majority of their time, Mm -hmm. which is insane in and of itself. But the other workers love what they do, and that's because they have jobs that produce flow. Flow is often talked about as the source code of intrinsic motivation, right? It's that addictive neurochemistry I I talked about. So massively amplified motivation. Creativity is also incredibly, incredibly enhanced in flow. In in studies we've run at my organization, the Flow Genome Project, People self-report feeling 700% more creative in a flow state. They recently did this crazy study in Australia where they took 40 people, gave them a very tricky brain teaser to solve that requires really significant creative problem solving. Nobody could solve the problem at all. Then they induced flow artificially, and I could talk about how if you're curious, but they induced flow artificially, Mm -hmm. and 23 people solved the problem in record time. So massively heightened problem solving, creative problem solving, and more importantly, and this is critical, almost everybody you talk to, meaning whether you, IBM just did a global survey, what is the most important skill in a CEO today? They asked 1,600 CEOs from 60 countries. The top answer was creativity. The problem is we have no idea how to teach people to become more creative. We don't know. But as it turns out, research done at Harvard shows that not only does flow jack up creativity in the moment, right? You're in the state and you're feeling much more creative. And that's great. But that heightened creativity outlasts the zone by a couple of days, which suggests, it doesn't prove, but it suggests that flow actually trains up the brain to think more creatively. And again, I can talk about the neurobiology if you're curious. If you want to know how any of this works, just let me know and, and I'll go there. Um, the last one is learning. Learning, we, so we talked about neurochemicals earlier. A sh- quick shorthand for learning and memory is the more neurochemicals that show up during an experience, the greater chance it moves from short-term holding into long-term storage, right? So mm-hmm. neurochemicals, one of the other jobs is to be emotional tags on experience. And they're big neon signs saying, usually important, save for later, the big neurochemical dump you get in flow massively amplifies learning. In studies run by the U.S. military, for example, learning was accelerated 200 to 500%. What that means inverted 
is that Malcolm Gladwell's famous 10,000 hours to mastery can be cut in half. Now, why is this a big deal in business? Aries de Goose, who was the head of Royal Dutch Shell um, uh, in their innovation lab, took a look. He had a question. He read Jim Collins' Good to Great, which I think everybody's read by now. And Collins wanted to know, hey, what does it take for a company to outperform the stock market for 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. And Ari Deguz sort of did the extreme version of this. He said, well, I'm not interested in companies that survive for 15 years or 20 years. What about companies that survive for 100 years or 200 or 1,000 years? And he did a giant study, 43 companies, all older than 100. The oldest was, I believe, 1,000 years old. Um, and in looking at all these companies, he found the single, the only competitive advantage that distinguished these companies was the ability to learn faster than their competition. Mm-hmm. So learning, creativity, motivation for any entrepreneur are fundamental. So how can any entrepreneur get more flow, right? So here's what's cool. Flow science dates back a while. It's about 150 years old. Most of it, first 120 years, was about the psychology, right? What's going on in the mind during flow? We've gotten great at this. Mm-hmm. 25 years ago, the neuroscience, specifically brain imaging technology, got powerful enough, we could start looking under the hood of expert performance and saying, hey, what is creating these states? And so we've got 20, 25 years of neurobiology and about five years of physiology, because a lot of the Measurement technology wasn't available until five years ago. But what has happened because of all this, for a variety of other reasons, we have been able to work backwards, and we now know there are 17 triggers that produce more flow. So the easiest way to think about these triggers is flow always follows focus, right? Flow is a present tense experience. It only can take place in the now. It's what happens when attention gets driven into the present moment. So all of these flow triggers are simply ways that evolution shaped the brain to pay attention to the now. All they are are just attention hacks, essentially. Mm -hmm. Now, of these 17 triggers, there are three environmental or external triggers, three internal triggers or psychological triggers, one creative trigger, and then... What we've been talking about so far is individual flow, the solo version of the state. There's also a shared version of the state, a collective version called group flow. So if you, and most people, by the way, have experienced group flow. If you've ever sung in a choir, played in a band, taken part in a great brainstorming session, gone to a rock concert, seen a, you know, fourth quarter comeback in football where everybody's in the exact right place at the right time and it looks like ballet more than football, pretty good <laughs> chance you got group flow going on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there are 10 social triggers that bring on group flow as well. So, I mean, the simple answer to your question, we can go into as much detail as you want, but the simple answer to your question is the people who are the best flow hackers in the world, meaning the, the, the greatest at reliably reproducing this state, are the people who have packed their lives with these flow triggers. Could we explore maybe one or two of the main flow triggers? Obviously, we can't go through all 17 right now, um, but could you just go through maybe one or two just to whet our appetite before we read the book? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and let's talk about the ones that, that probably mattered up to entrepreneurs. Um, the most famous flow trigger, and it's a psychological trigger, is known as the challenge skills ratio. 
So what this means is our attention is most present. We are most present. We're most focused. We're most here when the challenge at hand slightly exceeds the skills we bring to bear. So you want to stretch, but not snap. A couple of years ago, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and a Google Map petition kind of got together and they were talking about this and they wanted to put a number on it, the exact ratio. And they did a back of the envelope calculation and came up with a 4% difference between challenge and skills. Meaning in any situation that is going to generate the most flow, the challenge should be 4% greater than the skills. Now that is a loose figure. It was never meant as anything other than just here, here's a number to look at. So, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. I will say the Flow Genome Project, we took that number and concocted a couple of peculiar experiments um, and just just tried to fact check. We don't think they're real experiments. We haven't published them. We'd like to do them on a bigger scale, all that stuff. But we just tried it out to see what we could come up with. We, too, found 4% was the right number. So take it with a big grain of salt, but there you have it. And let me talk to where 4% is difficult for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. For people who are not crazy hyper driven, right? They're, they're, they like their work, but it's not their, their core passion and, you know, whatever. For underachievers in a sense, mm-hmm. um, 4% is difficult because 4% is the point at which you start to get pretty uncomfortable, right? You are past your, your safe zone. You're into, hey, I don't quite know what I'm doing and this is pretty damn hard not, and I don't feel great about this, right? Mm-hmm. So for those kinds of folks, the difficulty is you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable to do this, right? It's going to require it. On the flip side, which I find most entrepreneurs tend to be, which is massive overachievers, where this is difficult is entrepreneurs kind of by nature will bite off projects that are so much bigger than they should be. They'll write off projects that are 10%, 20%, 30% harder, right? And by setting such enormous goals and, and doing it that way, you're pushing, you're moving out of the sweet spot. There's too much anxiety. You're too scared and it's blocking flow. So right in the center is that challenge skill sweet spot. And you really got to get, you got, you have to practice getting it right. It's an individual thing. It differs for everybody. It probably differs in every situation a little bit, but you can over, over years looking at it, you know, it, it can drive, it can drive you into flow. It can be, it's really easy to work with. Just to kind of round this out a little bit, let's talk about, um, let's talk about one of the environmental triggers and probably the most important environmental trigger, which is high consequences. Flow follow focus. So consequences catch our attention, right? Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of work with action adventure sport athletes. The consequences in skiing and surfing and rock climbing and whatnot, it, you know, they make a lot of sense. At the upper level, if you screw up, you're going to die. That's high consequences. Yeah. But here's the really cool thing. You need risk-taking for flow, but it doesn't just have to be physical risk. It can be emotional risk, psychological risk, social risk, creative risk. Interesting fact about the brain is it cannot tell the difference between physical risk and social risk. We actually process the pain of social rejection in the same part of the brain, we process physical pain. And the reason is, till about 250 years ago, if you screwed up socially and you got kicked out of your tribe, you got exiled, banished, 
was a death sentence. It was capital punishment, right? Mm-hmm. So from an evolutionary perspective, and this has always been the case, um, we process social fear the same way we process physical fear, which is also why by public speaking is the number one fear in the world and not, say, getting mauled by a bear. But um, the uh, so the cool thing about this trigger is it's also very individual. So a big wave surfer, they have to paddle on a 50-foot hell wave to pull this trigger. But a shy woman only has to raise her hand and speak up at a business meeting to pull this trigger. So it's totally individual. But again, consequences catch their attention, the driver attention into the now, and you know, and that precipitates the most flow. Is this why we often complete that project with only a couple of hours to go because the consequences of not getting it done on time are bigger? Yeah. So a lot of people, and you see this all the time, especially people who, you know, people who are listening to your podcasts or people who are interested in kind of improving themselves, so they pay attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. You, a lot of people set artificial deadlines. Right, that where they they procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate because it massively jacks up the risk. It also amplifies the challenge level, right, in the challenge skills ratio. So it all and and all that stuff can drive us more into flow. There are lots of other ways to get in there. You don't have to really procrastinate to the last minute to do it. There's lots of other hacks here, but those are effective. Sure. And also the accountability as well, that social pressure. I know some people in business get a mentor sometimes just to give them a kick up the butt every once in a while. You know, they'll, they'll tell them off if they, if they aren't doing what they should be doing. I agree. And also, by the way, business wise, the risk thing tells us something else. It tells us that, that if you're not working, if you're an employer, for example, and you don't have a Silicon Valley fail faster, fail forward motto, fail early, fail often, fail faster, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't give your employees the space to fail or if you don't give yourself the space to fail, you can never generate, an, there's not enough risk, right? If you can't fail, you can't take the risks. So you don't, you're denying people the easy access and the flow. It's why in the main stairwell at Facebook, there's a sign hanging there that says move fast, break things. Yeah, cool. Stephen, thank you so much for telling us about The Rise of Superman. Just before we finish up today, really quickly, you have another book, which I've read, which is called Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think. And in this book, you predict that the next two decades are going to provide more opportunity for everyone on the planet than any other time in history. First of all, why is this? And what does it mean for entrepreneurs? So what abundance is, is about is four emerging forces that give us the opportunity to significantly raise global standards of living over the next 20 to 30 years. So let me be clear, this doesn't happen automatically, right? This isn't a techno-utopious book. I'm not saying, oh, technology is advancing at incredible speeds and this is going to solve all our problems. For sure, exponentially growing technology is one of our forces, and it's critically important. But the other three forces are biological. They're about humans. So we're saying this is possible, but to pull it off is going to require the largest cooperative effort in history. So what's important, most important for your audience is one of our other forces, which is what we're calling the newfound power of the, of the DIY innovator, the do-it-yourself innovator. Today, for the very first time in history, you know, individuals and small groups of people 
can accomplish this grand global challenges, the kinds of grand global challenges that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, were the sole province of large corporations and governments. Bert Rattan won the X Prize. He built a private spaceship that flew into space. NASA, the American Space Agency, said it was impossible. Every aerospace contractor in the world said it couldn't be done, or if it was going to be done, it would take billions of dollars. Turns out, Bert Rattan and a team of 20 engineers working out of an oversized garage in the Mojave did it for $20 million. That was early 2000s. Craig Venter, solving the human genome, is another. U.S. government budgeted $3 billion in 15 years, and they didn't think they had enough money, they didn't think it was enough time. And then Craig Venter enters the race and does it in slightly less than two years for $3 million. Another a great example that I love is... Synthetic biology is a, is a technology that, that is advancing exponentially. It's moving very, very quickly. Synthetic biology basically treats DNA like computer code. So they, it's about reprogramming organisms, building organisms from scratch using DNA. Now, MIT, the university, they have a, they have a uh, synthetic biology competition every year. It's called the iGEM competition. Um, and it's for high school students and college students. And, you know, when they first started out, it was exciting. People were doing cool things like, you know, taking the glow-in-the-dark gene in jellyfish and putting it into rats and cats. And, you know, they, so they had glow-in-the-dark animals. And that was neat, right? Mm-hmm. But in 2008, a team of high school kids in Slovenia used synthetic biology to create a vaccine for the most common form of ulcers. Now, you've got to think about this for a minute. That is a world-class biopharmaceutical result in a country that has no biopharmaceutical industry, no biotech pretty much at all, by high school and college students working on what was mostly used equipment. That is what I mean when I talk about, you know, taking on grand global challenges, right? Today's entrepreneur, because of exponentially growing technology, can take on bigger and bigger and bigger challenges than ever before. I will say also that abundance, as you, as you probably know, is sort of a macroscopic look at these four forces, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as much of an entrepreneurial how-to. But this February, I have another book coming out, also co-written with Peter Diamandis, who I wrote Abundance with, um, called Bold, that is literally about how entrepreneurs can harness exponential technology to solve brand global challenges and build billion dollar businesses and whatever. We talk about flow in that book as well. We talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. So the kind of, for the entrepreneur really interested in, in, in the abundance topics, free abundance, of course, but look out for bold, which will come out in February because that's really got the kind of nitty gritty how to. That's the, that's much more of the business book. Stephen, would you say that with these technologies and sciences that are emerging, that it's going to be good for all world economies, that everyone's going to benefit? I I know that um, Bill Gates said something to the effect that there won't be any third world countries by 2035. Would you agree with that? Well, that's, I mean, you know, that's an interesting argument. And, you know, Gates, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was talking about uh, the Brookings Institute ran so poverty has been decreased more in the past 50 years mm-hmm. than in the previous 500 right we've made incredible 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 strides in the 20th century i mean ridiculous ridiculous strides forward but the brookings institute sort of uh plotted this out into the future and they looked and they said well is this 
you know, what's, what does it look like going forward? And so by 2025, 2030, their numbers show that as long as things kind of keep moving as they are, and I'll speak to that in half a second, as long as they keep moving than they are, poverty will end by 2025. And the economist did a big story on, which is, I think what Bill, Bill read, um, the, uh, the conditions behind that is that Africa and Asia have to, uh, Africa and India need to continue making the kinds of progress they're currently making, which is not a given in some people's minds, but I believe because of exponentially advancing technology, because education, you know, the, the world, 40% of the world is now connected to the internet. It's, you know, it's moving up and up. Google's got two different projects to connect everybody to Wi-Fi within three to five years. So as that happens, education becomes massively distributed. Healthcare is more distributed. So I think a lot of, you know, the, the good news is going to continue for sure. Um, and I, and I, and I do see that, but I also see, you know, it's a, it's entrepreneurs are going to be the secret. I mean, like we, you know, it's up to us. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's great that everyone benefits from this, Stephen. It's almost like a rising tide raises all ships. It's just very exciting and inspiring for anyone who's an entrepreneur or anyone at all, really, um, to know that the future is bright for the human race as a whole. Um, I just think that it's great. It gives us a lot of inspiration and uh, drive to go do things and go forward and just try things out. So, Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. Where can we go to find out more about you uh, and your work? And also, where can we go and buy your books? So Amazon's the best place to buy Rise of Superman. Um, and there's a, uh, there's a UK edition. So you don't have, you don't have to order from the States. There's a UK edition and, and you can get it there. Um, uh, and you can, you can find out more about me at stephencotler.com or the rise of superman.com. And if you're interested in flow, go to the flow genome project.co. That's dot co flow genome, G E N O M E project.co. And a couple of things that everybody should know. Uh, first is on the website, you'll see a free flow diagnostic. Anybody can take it. And all this does is which triggers you're most susceptible to is a, is nature, it's nurture, there's some genetics, there's how you grew up, there's a bunch of different factors. So not everybody gets into flow the same way. There's lots of different on-ramps. This diagnostic will help you identify those areas in your life that are likely to produce the most flow. So that's there. We also run online courses, uh, in-person events, in-person courses. There's lots of flow training available um, through the Flow Genome Project as well, so you, you can check that out there too. Brilliant. That's the end of today's show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.